have to, I think, in a job like the one I have, develop the ability to just block certain things out. There's always going to be noise. There's always going to be criticism. I think you've got to sort of separate some of the noise from, you know, what may be legitimate critique that you want to like, okay, maybe I need to do it differently from just the really ugly tenor of the times that we've been through. Thanks for checking in to this episode of 10 Questions with NBC10 Boston, the podcast. I'm Kwani A. Lunis. During Women's History Month, we talked to Attorney General Maura Healy about her New England upbringing and how she went from running up and down a basketball court to running the highest office of the law in the state of Massachusetts. Here's our conversation. Massachusetts Attorney General Mara Healy, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, it's great to be with you. Absolutely. And this is an important day, important month. So just happy to be part of this. Absolutely. And I want to start with the beginning of your story. I know you're a New Englander for the most part through and through. Take us back to, I know you grew up in New Hampshire. What was that growing up like? And then your transit eventually to Harvard in Massachusetts. Yeah, you know, um, so I feel really lucky. My my mom and dad were both from Massachusetts, grew up in Newburyport, um, but uh, up on the North Shore. But we actually, as kids, uh, grew up in a small town called Hampton Falls which was about 10 minutes from Hampton Beach. We grew up on a farm with 40 acres and animals. And um, I'm the oldest of five kids, uh, enough for a basketball team. Um, Which is something that we all ended up playing at one point. But, you know, my folks worked hard. My mom was a nurse and then later became a school nurse. Um, My dad worked for the the government and used to commute into Boston. and then, you know, my folks ended up getting divorced. Um, my um, my stepdad actually is somebody who coached me in high school and um, and was a teacher. And yeah, it was just a great, great place to grow up. And then I went off to Harvard um, when I was 17, when I graduated from high school and, you know, had a great experience there. Um, first time I felt sort of out of the, you know, from the big city, um, played, uh, played basketball and, you know, went from there. But I feel really lucky about it you know, how I, how I grew up, um, for sure. And I love the shrug of, I played basketball. You were the captain of your basketball team at Harvard. I was trying to do some digging to get into the stats because I know that you did play pro overseas mm-hmm. and, you know, it just goes to show the women's sports. We still have a lot of work to do because I couldn't find any stats, but clearly you were good enough to play pro. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, things have changed a lot. Right. I mean, I, um, at one, I, I, I had the assist record uh, that has since been uh, broken many times. Um, mm-hmm. The quality of play, right, has just gotten so much, uh, so much more advanced. But you know, I was, I was lucky. I had that. I was lucky. I had that experience for sure. So, how does one decide from being a pro baller to going back to law school at Northeastern and getting your Juris Doctorate, and then obviously deciding to work in the field of law? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think from the time I was probably a little kid, um, I wanted to be a lawyer. I thought about that. You know, I I had a chance as part of a a enrichment program in fourth grade to spend a day with a lawyer, you know, and I and I hung out with her and learned about what she did. And then and then, you know, I thought about what lawyers do and how they get to be advocates. And so, you know, I I went to college. My plan was not to go to law school uh, right away. I wanted to go do some things. 
that's why I took advantage of the opportunity to go play pro ball in Europe for a couple of years, which I did and, you know, got to travel and have a different perspective. Um, and then I returned to, to law school and to Northeastern um, in particular so that I could, you know, do what I needed to do to be a lawyer. And um, it's great. I'm glad I chose this. Uh, I'm glad I chose this field. You know, you really do get to use the law to try to try to help people. How do you think playing overseas affected your law career? I feel like a lot of times traveling and going abroad can really expand your worldview. Oh, totally. Right. I mean, for me, um, there are a couple things, you know, from the time at an early age, I was always a waitress, you know, um, probably all through high school, college and, and law school. And that experience, like interacting with a range of people, I think was really helpful to sort of understanding the world a little bit more. Um, and then the other experience of, of playing basketball, whether it was, you know, traveling down south to play national tournaments or out to Colorado Springs or to go live in Europe and meet women and people from other cultures and countries. It really gave me a perspective. And, you know, I think about um, that experience and how important it is to have a perspective to as a lawyer, you know, to see to see a bigger picture, you know, especially as a public lawyer. You know, now as attorney general, you know, I think it's really important that me and my teams have, you know, a perspective and understand that people are coming from different places with different experiences. Um, uh, that's really, that's really important. And then, you know, finally, I guess I'd say that, you know, playing sports gives you like a lot of discipline. It gives you a lot of focus, right? You learn about teamwork. Um, so whether it's me running an office now, um, or when I was running for, for uh, election, you know, you learn the things that you, you learn playing sports, I have found to be super useful uh, in, my, in my life and in my professional career. Yeah, running point, running an office, the same thing. <laughs> I love that analogy. I had to play point, I'm too short, you know, I'm only 5'4", so, you know, there, there you I'm go. I'm part of the short, the short committee, I understand that one. <laughs> yeah. A lot of times people look at a position, you're the attorney general here in Massachusetts now, and they just see the glamour of having a title like that, but they forget that there's a grind before that. I know that out of college, you started clerking and then eventually worked your way up to, I would say, kind of apprenticing under, even though you're working full time, under the previous attorney general. What were those years like when you started out after college? Was there ever a point where you were like, hmm, did I make the right decision for a career? Oh, absolutely. You know, I did clerk out of law school and then I went to work at a big firm, had a great experience there, learned a lot, was there for eight or nine years, mostly representing companies, you know, and businesses and litigation. Um, and those are hard years, too, when you're billing, you know, a few thousand hours a year and a lot of stress. But again, I learned a lot. Um, and then, you know, ups and downs along the way. I started as chief of the Civil Rights Division about a year in you know, I was struggling a little and, and I actually questioned whether it was the right move for me. And boy, I'm glad I stuck it out. Um, we then, you know, filed some big cases, um, including the challenge to the Defense of Marriage Act, DOMA, um, which was really important for marriage equality. And, you know, in time, I just saw the power of that office in action. So, you know, I would just say that, you know, what people don't see some, sometimes is I think everybody in our office works really hard. Um, I try not to read too much online because there are a lot of trolls and haters out there, right? Uh, there are people who are always going to be critical. You know, I've gotten threats and death threats. That unfortunately is part of the 
the nature of, of public office right now and what you're subjected to. But, you know, even considering all the challenges, the opportunities are, are amazing. And, uh, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I get a chance to work with a bunch of people who are committed to trying to make, you know, life better for, for our state. And to your point about death threats, apologies that you even have to deal with that. And I know living in a public office, your your life is essentially in this glass house, so to speak. So for you personally, how do you step away? What is your self-care method of making sure you're protecting your mental health? Well, you know, I think um, it's about friends. It's about family. Um, mm -hmm. It's about, you know, our team too. Um, you know, you have to, I think, in a job like the one I have, develop the ability to just block certain things out. There's always going to be noise. There's always going to be criticism. Um, I think you've got to sort of separate some of the noise from, you know, what may be legitimate critique that you want to like, okay, maybe I need to do it differently um, from, from just the, the, the really ugly tenor of the times that we've been through. But you know, for me, it's kind of going back to, to basics. I may, um, I may, you know, get out to the woods and take a walk, or um, go spend time with my nieces or nephew. I literally during COVID, I've been driving around. You know, when I'm when I'm when I'm driving around, I always have a basketball in my car, so I'll randomly get out and just de-stress <laughs> by um, shooting hoops at a, at, a, at a playground. And there's always a group of like 12 to 15 year old boys who are looking at me across the other end of the court like I'm uh, crazy. But uh, <laughs> but you know, this is what you've got to do. Self-care is important uh, for sure, especially in these times. And we've got to look to change it. You know, I mean, one of the things, you know, Kwani, that I'm really focused on is addressing, you know, the extremism, the white supremacy, um, the misdisinformation that's online right now. It's really bad. You know, it's, it's threatening uh, to public safety, but it's also really corrosive to uh, to our democracy. So that's something I'm looking at, looking at focusing on um, as attorney general. And it's definitely a big task to, to try to undermine all of this misinformation. But how does one maybe get through the baby steps of trying to make that kind of change? Well, I think you got to start local, right? And you know, that's why I always support local news and, and reporting. I think people, you know, know what's happening in their community, and so they can hopefully trust, you know, and, and see like, oh yeah, local reporting, this is what's happening. I get it. I mean, we're gonna have to work with the platforms though to really change some of what they allow um, online to happen. And you know, I can tell you, having done a lot of work lit to litigate to try to protect, uh, along with other AGs and secretaries of state, the election. Uh, both the election and then the results, you know, um, it's 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 bad. We got a lot of work uh, to to do out there, but something is it's something we definitely have got to take on. And you know, the other the other way to deal with some of this stuff too is just just by showing up. You know, um, talking to people. You know, directly. Um, these days, it's mostly you know virtual, but you know, just trying to be honest with the public about what you're doing as a politician, why you're doing it. Um, you know, I think these are ways to, to hopefully help break through some of this. But we definitely need people to trust in government. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, it's just not where it needs to be yet. Last year, you said, yes, America is burning, but that's how forests grow. And this was 
in response to the systemic racism that we've seen kind of escalating. It's been here, but escalating in this country. That's something you've seemed to be very passionate about. Where did you become an ally other than kind of having to with your role? And how has the past year been for you with that kind of advocacy? You know, um, I started when I left private practice in the Attorney General's office as chief of the Civil Rights Division. Uh, we brought the first case in the country against a mortgage lender who made really bad subprime loans that really hurt um, Black and, and Latinx borrowers. And, you know, racial equity has always been uh, a key priority for me. In this moment, though, of, I'd say, Kwani, you know, we've had these twin pandemics, right? We've had COVID-19, which has disproportionately diseased and harmed Black and Latinx communities. Um, and then we have this moment of racial reckoning, you know? It, it started well before George Floyd's killing, um, but certainly things really sort of started to come to a head in a lot of conversations nationally and protests. And I just felt like in this moment, you know, we have got to deal with and address systemic racism um, 400 years in the making, and we've got an opportunity to do it. So out of my office, we apply an equity lens to everything that we do, you know, whether it's in um, protecting against pollution in, in communities that have been disproportionately harmed, uh, mostly uh, communities of color and low-income communities. I put out a report earlier this year on healthcare disparities, racial disparities in healthcare, and what we need to do to address that. We're going to continue to look to combat hate and discrimination, and we're going to work on issues of criminal justice and, and police reform, just to name a few. But, you know, we have got to look at equity, and that's why I always call for a collection of data, publication of data, so that people understand that, you know, when it comes to, to life right now, whether you're talking healthcare or transportation, employment, um, education, it, it is absolutely the case that people of color are and have been at a disadvantage. And we need to do a lot more uh, collectively, uh, not just as a state, uh, but just as a city, as a country, to, to address that. And I'm feeling, Connie, like this is the time. You know, more and more people have had the courage to have conversations about race you know, in their offices, uh, like we've had, uh, in their businesses, in their organizations. And, you know, to me, that's hopeful. Um, in addition to the fact that you see so many more people of color and women of color running for office, I know that, you know, I still feel like I work in a male-dominated field. And I think one way that we make change is by having people in government that actually look like the communities they serve. and. You know, uh, for far too long, we just haven't had that kind of representation. And, you know, one thing for me that I get to do that I love, you know, my office is majority women, uh, majority women in leadership, and we have diversified uh, significantly. And, you know, uh, simply, you know, by going out and trying to get the best candidates for positions. And as I say, for far too long, you know, um, there just haven't been. Uh, enough people of color represented and women of color. You know, I got to talk about the women this month um, in boardrooms, running corporations, or you know, in elected office. And so, I'm I'm encouraged by the numbers that I see out there uh, running. And to your point, representation definitely is a key to for maybe a young girl to look at that role and say, oh, there's a woman that's the attorney general. I can do that. So from you. What is your message maybe to 
younger girls that would be interested in a career in law or even eventually becoming an attorney general. Do it, do it. And don't wait for somebody to ask you. It's funny, I, you know, my experience, uh, I ran as a first time candidate and most people just, you know, didn't give me the time of day and didn't think it was my turn, right? And I ignored them. Mostly, I think my, my sports background made me competitive and I really wanted the job and thought I could do it. Um, and I suppose I was a little naive, but I just went out and campaigned hard every day. And, and I learned, you know, through that experience, we won big, decisively, and then I won again. Um, but nobody asked me to run. And, you know, I just stepped forward and, and did it. And I think more women just need to believe that they have so much to offer. And when it comes to policymaking and lawmaking, the absence of women and the absence of women of color who have been such a backbone to our economy as we see, you know, through COVID and who is an essential worker, um, that just hasn't been represented. So I would say either think about running, whether it's for school committee or town meeting or, you know, state legislature or attorney general. Um, and if you don't want to run, because I understand not everybody wants to run, then get involved in a campaign helping to get somebody else elected. Final question. And I asked, I've been asking the other women on during this month, this question, it's kind of corny, but when you eventually look back on your career, what is the maybe legacy that you would hope to have left, whether it's in the state of Massachusetts or beyond when it comes to the policies or the work that you are and will continue to be doing? You know, um, I guess, you know, I, I hope that it might mean that I built a team and an office that worked hard to make life better for people and to address uh, some of the disparities and fairness and inequities that exist and have existed for way too long. Um, I'm very proud when I see people leave my office, some go to become judges, some actually go and run for office or some go on and do other things. And I'm proud that, you know, they've been able to have experiences, hopefully my legacy in running an office that was, you know, an office that made a difference in people's lives. You know, when I ran Kwani, I wanted it to be the people's lawyer, the people's law firm. And, you know, I, I hope ultimately that that, that uh, is something that is lasting, you know, beyond, beyond my time, um, uh, even that that is uh, something that, that is there cemented. If you enjoyed that conversation with Attorney General Maura Healy, please remember to subscribe if you haven't already, write a review, and as always, share it with a friend. You can also watch the video on NBC10Boston.com slash 10 questions. Thank you for listening. Thank you.